We are working our way through the Bible this year. Yeah. Y'all hanging in there? You don't have to admit it if you've struggled a little bit along the way or, or you're just, even if you're just doing this by participating with us in the sermons, that's great. We're just working our way through God's word, getting a sense of the big picture of what he's up to, and then seeing these ways that God meets with us in everyday life, moment by moment. And so um, this past week, we finished up our reading through the gospels as we finished up the gospel of John. And so this morning, we're going to focus in on the kind of the second half of the book of John. Instead of doing kind of a big overview of like, you know, what are the themes of the book and what's the overall message, I want to talk to you guys this morning about faith. Um, now listen, we've, we've even done a whole series on faith. There's a lot we could say about faith. But I want to talk to you about what Peter calls like precious faith. All right, so let's pray and prepare our hearts. And then while we're gonna spend most of the morning in the Gospel of John, we're gonna read the very beginning of 2 Peter chapter one in just a moment. So first, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Jesus, that as John tells us, you are the living word and that you are the word that, that creates life. You are the word that sustains life. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, you, the risen word, would you make your scripture, this word, come alive to us today? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are our teacher, our comforter, that you convict us and challenge us when needed, that you empower us to be who God's called us to be. And so would you come and be our teacher and our guide today? Heavenly Father, our, our hope is that we would learn more and more how to trust you, how to see you for who you really are, and believe that you are doing the work in our lives and in this world that you have promised to do. And so may we have eyes to see you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Peter writes about this faith in, in the opening to his letter, and so I realize he goes on to talk about all kinds of other topics in his letter, but I think it's important just how he introduces this because he gives us a sense of what we're all in together. He invites us into something together. And I, I believe there's some important stuff we need to hear this morning about faith. And so 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, hey, those of you who have faith in Jesus, we're in this together. You're with us. We're united. And, and we're standing where we're standing because of who God is and what he has done. It's his work that has put us in right standing. And so we have this similar precious faith. That word precious, um, it means, or the phrase like precious, it means equal. So it's equally precious. And that word precious, it even means honor. It means esteemed or worthy. We have equally honorable and esteemed faith 
just like the apostles of old who walked with Jesus. So who wakes up feeling like that every day? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I feel that every day. But that's the truth. Peter says we have this in common. Brothers and sisters, if you're in the faith, if you're trusting Jesus, we have a similar faith. It's precious. It's glorious. It's honorable. That is what is in you. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, and this is really the whole key right here, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Anybody feel the need for that in your own life? Anybody feel the need for a little more grace in your life? Maybe you need the ability to carry a little more grace with others in your life right now. Anybody hungry for some peace in your heart, in your mind, in your home? I think we could all agree our world could use some grace and some peace. Well, that doesn't just kind of miraculously rain down on everybody. Grace and peace moves forward in the world through the church, through Jesus' body. Christ in you, Christ in me. He wants to permeate our hearts and minds, our homes, and the world around us with his grace and peace. And that grace and that peace is multiplied. You know, there's a lot of times in my life where I feel like, oh, I've got a little more peace. Like maybe that much more, <laughs> right? Like it just feels like it comes in little bits and pieces. Peter's saying, man, this is gonna be multiplied to you. This is like five times what you have right now. Not just holding out for a little more peace, Lots more peace, lots more grace. That's available to you and it's multiplied in you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And see, that's the role of faith. The role of faith lets us first even come to Jesus, even, even begin to approach him. And then friends, the way we grow in our relationship with him is through faith. I sure don't grow in my relationship with him by accident, I don't walk around in this world and go, man, this world is just so amazing and wonderful. It's obvious Jesus is here doing all kinds of great stuff and it just stumble into a great relationship. Man, I battle with my own struggles. I, my eyes are open. I see what's happening in the world around me. It takes faith to experience the presence of God in this day and age. Anybody else think so? Yeah, it takes faith. And so listen, that precious faith that we have, it's available to you and I. We use that faith to step in and experience our God, experience Jesus, have knowledge of him. That's both intellectual knowledge. It's why we're doing something like reading through the Bible together this year. But it's, it's, it's tangible, experiential knowledge it's really recognizing his presence in my life. And so faith enables me to know and experience God. And it multiplies the necessary grace and peace that we all need. So here's what I wanna talk to you about this morning, all right? Listen, we could, we could explore the nature of faith and ways that we grow in faith um, in, in so many ways. We could spend weeks and weeks and months and months 
I just want to do this this morning. I want to look at three growth phases of faith. Three growth phases. Three different scenarios that we can find ourselves in, and I would even go so far as to say we will find ourselves in, that can grow us in faith. They are opportunities to choose to believe that God is present and active and available and that in these moments, he wants to multiply grace and peace in my life. And as we're gonna see, it's gonna take faith to see that happen. All right, three areas. These are all from John's gospel. We're gonna begin in John chapter 11. I'd encourage you, you could read through the entire chapter and really get a sense of this story. The first phase growth phase of faith I want to talk to you about this morning is what I'm calling even now faith. Or put another way, faith in loss. Faith in loss. Even now faith. So in John chapter 11, Jesus' very dear friend Lazarus has gotten sick. He has, he has two sisters. They all live in this town of Bethany. And, and so Word is getting, being sent to Jesus um, from Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, that he is gravely ill. And they're sending word to Jesus, hoping he will come because they, they recognize who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. They've watched him heal people. And so they're hoping he will come to see Lazarus, whom he loves, and heal him. That's what they're looking for. All right, if, if you already are very familiar with the story of Lazarus and you know Jesus calls him forth out of the grave, just set that to the side for a minute. Mary and Martha are just living in the moment. Their brother's really sick and they're incredibly worried about him and his health and they're asking if Jesus will show up. And so we're gonna pick this up in John 11, verse three. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Did Lazarus' illness lead to death? Yes. So was Jesus ignorant of that fact? No. As we see, as we work our way through the story, he knew fully what was gonna happen. So what is he talking about here? What do you mean this illness isn't leading to death? It, it did. It did. Friends, the, the first thing that I hope that we can see this morning is that Jesus defines death and loss differently than we do. He defines death and loss differently than we do. And as many of us know and have experienced, his timing is also different than our timing. And so that leads us into the very next verse. So he gets word, the one whom you love is ill. He says this illness is not gonna lead to death. Verse six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, Jesus, the things we're gonna see in the story, he's not distant, he's not calloused. He's not worried about other things. They knew Jesus loved them. It was in their message. Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. And then it says very clearly here, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six, so he immediately sprinted to Bethany and took care of the situation. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus waits. I'm sure you've never said stuff like this internally and probably never externally. Maybe I'm the only one. But I've found myself looking at a lot of situations in life and saying, Jesus, I love people. And if I was you, I wouldn't do that. Maybe it's only me. But there are things that God does that we would never do. There's things that he allows that we would never allow. Guys, the the first kind of element of faith here that we've got to be able to grab hold of in moments like this is to trust that he does love us and therefore he must be working on a level beyond what I can understand. If he loves me and he's working for my benefit and my good, then when all the doubts and the questions come in, God, where are you? Why are you delaying? Why are you not on time? How do you not see suffering and death the way that I do? Why does it seem to be allowed? Why why is it so present in this world? It's to choose to believe that whether I understand his timing or not, whether I understand his strategy or not, that he wants me to know that he is motivated by love. God loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and Mary. And he waited. So a few verses go along and he stays where he is. And so now he's saying it's time to go. And there's this There's this whole dialogue with the disciples where he's like, we need to go wake Lazarus up. And they're not getting and understanding what he's talking about. And so finally in verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Look at all the people Jesus is thinking about in this story. He's considering Lazarus, who's ill. He's considering Martha and Mary, whom he loves. He's considering his disciples who travel with them. And he said, the way I'm handling this is good and right because it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. You have an opportunity to now believe something about me because of what's about to take place. And so for God's glory and their benefit, he allows suffering and loss to happen. So back in Bethany, he's now traveling there. He's he's approaching, getting close to their house. Back in Bethany, Lazarus has now gone through this illness and he's been in the grave four days. He's been dead four days. And his sisters are in the grieving process. Friends have come and gathered around them and they're grieving. And so Jesus approaches and in John 11 verse 20 now, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. I get Mary's response there. If you're familiar with another story in the scripture where Jesus is in the home and he's spending time with the family and he's teaching and Mary's just sitting at his feet 
soaking it up, right? And Martha's busy and hurrying and working and frustrated with her sister. But Mary's just like, I'm right where I need to be at the feet of Jesus. You know, in that particular story, Martha kind of gets the short end of the straw, right? Like she gets told Mary's chosen the better thing. Well, I don't know that we often acknowledge that in this moment, Mary is grappling with the grief and the sorrow that she's feeling. She knows a message was sent and Jesus didn't come in time. And now supposedly he's drawing near. I don't know what was in her heart, but I know she heard the same thing Martha did and she remained seated. But Martha, in all her pain and in all her grief, she hears that Jesus is drawing near. And she went out and met him. Guys, that's the whole deal right there. When we're hurting, when we're suffering, when things don't make sense, that is a crisis of faith. Will I choose to believe that whatever my circumstances are telling me about God and his heart towards me, whether or not he cares, whether or not he sees or knows, everything in me can feel like he's calloused and and distant, but in that moment, I have an opportunity to choose to believe that he is drawing near and I can choose in my heart to remain seated or to go out and meet him. And I would insert Martha chose the better thing. And she goes to meet him. Verse um, 22 now, or sorry, 21. She comes to Jesus and Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I, I I love this. She's taking this step of faith towards him, but she's being real about her situation and her circumstances and how she feels. God, if you had been here, things could have been different, but she's talking to Jesus. That's that's the whole difference, guys. We can do that thing where we're we're struggling, we're doubting, we're questioning, we're wondering why, and, and we can be like this with him. Or we can come to him, and faith is not pretending there aren't doubts. Faith isn't pretending I'm not frustrated, hurting, angry, I come as I am and I verbalize that real stuff to Jesus. He's right there and he's present and he loves me. I can come just like that. But look at this faith that Martha musters. She says, God, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but even now. Guys, I have been around, I have been in the presence of great grief and loss. I've I've wrestled with my own pain and experience and I've been with some people I've experienced far deeper than than I can understand. I've looked in their eyes, I've held their hands, I've seen the pain, I've heard the questions, I don't have the answers but I have watched courageous friends with like precious faith in the midst of all their sorrow, all their grief, all their lack of understanding be able to say, even now, even now. I don't know how, I don't understand, I don't know what he's up to, but even now, 
God, I know that you're good, and I know that you can do something. And so she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha didn't have the answers. She didn't understand how it was going to work. But she chose to believe that in spite of her suffering and her circumstances, that even now she could trust Jesus. Man, what a moment of faith. What a moment of growth. And in a crisis of faith moment of loss, Jesus invites her to do something that he invites us all to do. He invites us to look up and see him more fully and decide, well, I really believe that about him. Well, I really believe this thing that he says about himself. Friends, you gotta remember, Lazarus has not come forth yet. Y'all understanding you with me? I realize you're thinking, well, Jake, you're talking about loss, but like he raises again from the dead. Man, he is present with her in the moment, in her grief, in her suffering, in her loss. There seems no way out. The stone is rolled over the grave. It's done. And in that moment, Jesus looks at her and her even now faith, she's just grappling to find some hope in him. And he says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He dares to ask her, do you believe? Do you have that kind of faith? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Man, I love that even now faith that she has. Yes, Lord, I believe even now that you are the Christ. You are the son of God who is coming into the world. Friends, I cannot promise you what it's gonna look like when you suffer loss, but I can promise you, you will. Isn't it interesting that in a world that we live in where it is inevitable, intellectually, I know and understand that it is inevitable that I will experience pain and suffering and death. And yet we all have this deep sense that it's wrong. We all have this deep sense that it's unnatural, that it's not supposed to be that way. And yet it's this inevitable part of life. Guys, the reason we, we feel that and know that is because it is wrong. We were made for resurrection life. We were made to be eternal beings that experienced love unceasing, never-ending, full of joy. We were made for that. The inevitability of suffering and death is a part of this broken, fallen world, and that's not gonna change yet for a while. But, but what even now faith does is it chooses to believe in those moments where it's no longer just an intellectual thing that I realize is going to happen, but it is my present reality that I'm walking in. And in those moments to choose to believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are the resurrection and the life. And maybe 
as you draw near and I draw near to you, maybe what I'm about to see is, is a miraculous act of God to intervene and change things. Maybe I'm about to see that. Maybe this side of heaven, this is my reality. But as you are present and I draw near to you, I'm gonna find healing in your comforting presence. I'm gonna believe that you are near and that ultimately, whether I'm experiencing a miracle or whether I'm experiencing God's comfort and presence in loss, that what is certain is that always he is the resurrection and the life. Always he is working to redeem in every situation. And I have an opportunity to look up. I have an opportunity to muster some even now faith to say, God, I don't feel it, I don't see it, but I believe you are real. I'll never, I'll never forget this. It's like burned in my mind. A few years back, some of you know this family well. Um, dear friends of ours lost their, their little infant daughter. She went to heaven. We were very present with them and spending a lot of time with them during that. My children were around that. We participated in, in services. We're, we're at the, the graveside, all of it. And within a day or two, it might have even been the night, the night Lydia was buried. It might have even been that night. But I'll just, I'll never forget this. I look out in the backyard and my son Micah, you guys know Micah, he's nonverbal. He has Down syndrome, he's nonverbal. Um, but man, there's a lot happening up here and there's a lot happening in here. And I look at him and he's sitting in the grass and he's staring up at the stars. It was just a really clear night. And I go out there, I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? We, we haven't talked through this whole thing. He's just been around. And he looks at me and he goes like this. And he goes like that. It's faith like a child. He sat out there looking up, believing. I know that that precious girl is up there with Jesus. That's even now faith that chooses to believe in moments of crisis and moments of loss that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's near and that we can go out to him. Mary eventually goes out too. And I wanna just leave you with this thought before we move to number two. I believe that Jesus absolutely always is present. The scripture says he is near to the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. I absolutely believe he is present. I believe he wants to make it known that he is present. But friends, I also believe he does not force his way in. And while he came to Bethany and came near the house and let it be known that he was right there, the people that experienced his presence had to choose to get up and go see him. And so Martha went and she met with her Jesus. And then she went back to the house and told Mary and Mary came out too. And he lovingly met her too. And he wept with her. 
even now faith. I don't know if this is anywhere near where you're at right now. I don't know if this is something you're even remotely walking through right now. But friends, there's some decisions we need to go ahead and make in our heart right now. To say, God, I don't know what that will be like. I don't know what that will look like. Man, I I pray that that is distant from me. But God, when I'm there, my prayer right here, right now, Lord, is that I would have even now faith that I I would go out to you in my suffering, in my loss, and find my Savior, who is the resurrection and the life, there present with me. That's even now faith. All right. We're going to move through these next two a little bit more quickly. Um, Number two, I'm calling this unless I see faith or faith in doubt. So Jesus has now risen from the dead, so he's experienced all the, all the whole week of passion, everything leading up to his arrest, his betrayal, the trial, his sentencing, the crucifixion, his death and burial. He's gone through all of that. And his followers have gone through all of that. They have experienced this entire roller coaster ride. And now a few of them have begun to have encounters with him as he has risen from the grave. And so it's like the good news part of the gospel, right? It's like death is defeated, victory has been achieved, Jesus is alive. But there are people that are hearing this story that have not experienced it yet, personally. They're hearing that Jesus is great and he's risen from the grave and he's alive, but they just know where they've been. And where they've been is, I watched him die. And where they've been is, my my hopes and dreams were hinged upon this person being the king and the Messiah, whatever that's gonna look like. And I I never thought it would end like this. And so they're, they're grappling with not understanding. And so Thomas is one of these guys And so the disciple Thomas has not been present when Jesus has shown up yet. And so some of the others have been, and they're talking about it. And so we're going to pick this up in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of nails, I've got to see it, I've got to touch it. Unless I place my hand into his side where he had been, the the spear had pierced, I will never believe. He's saying, I just, I can't wrap my mind around this. I can't, this isn't, this doesn't feel real to me. It's not tangible to me. I can't get my hands on it. I can't see it. And unless I can really grab hold of it, I'm not going to believe. And the next verse says, eight days later. (laughs) I never noticed that before. I'm maybe a little embarrassed to say that, but it's like, you know, you read the scripture and there's things you've read a bunch of times. And like, in my mind, right after Thomas says this, Jesus shows up. I've always read it that way. I don't know why. Jesus shows up. No, eight days later. People are seeing Jesus alive all over the place. 
And Thomas has to wait another eight days after expressing these doubts that he's struggling with. Jesus allows him the time and the space to grapple with these questions, to grapple with these doubts. And so eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And now moving on to the second half of verse 26. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. It's like he just wanted them to know resurrected bodies are pretty cool. (laughs) I'm believing that some of the cool things we see Jesus do in his resurrected body is more than just he's God. I really think it's because he's in a resurrected body and we're gonna get to do some cool stuff like that. Like when I tell Alex in heaven, hey, I'm popping over for dinner, I'm literally popping over for dinner. So whatever, this is my heavenly imagination, I guess. Um, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Yeah, you, you need somebody to calm you down after somebody's appearing out of thin air. Peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. A couple observations here. Number one, he doesn't reject Thomas because of his doubts. Doubts don't disqualify you. In fact, he even gave Thomas space to grapple with those doubts. The second thing I see is he personally comes to Thomas and wrestles through those doubts with him. It's personal. And, and he lets Thomas have this experience with him so those doubts can be addressed. I mean, think about that. He didn't just go, well, man, he got the news. A bunch of other witnesses saw it. Like, tough luck, buddy. He didn't reject the one who was doubting. He came near and personally engaged with the one who was doubting. And he did it in this personal, tangible way. He let him handle him, see him, get a sense of who he was. And he invites him into belief. He says, Thomas, come on. You can do it, man. Trust me. Believe me. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Because Jesus drew near and got personal with Thomas as he wrestled with his doubts. He wasn't asking Thomas to decide, do you believe there is a God? It wasn't this like large, big philosophical thing. It was personal. Thomas, I'm not just asking you to believe that I'm God or that I'm alive. I'm inviting you to know me. And Thomas says, that's my Lord. That's my God. I'm in. I'm with him. I'm following him. I'm trusting him. The the third thing I want to encourage you to see here, and I I do feel like some of these kind of connect with each other to a degree, right? Because, man, when I'm having 
the crisis of loss, you got to know right on the heels of that, if not in the midst of it, is a crisis of doubt. And I, I love how Jesus addresses Thomas's doubts. He shows him his wounds. He shows him his scars. Jesus has suffered. The one who has those wounds, when he was getting those wounds on the cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scripture tells us Jesus was without sin. And yet he was able to express in a moment a feeling of abandonment. Thomas sees those scars and doesn't just believe this this really is the Jesus who's risen. He sees the personal nature of who Jesus is. Man, I get it. I've walked this earth. I have felt pain, struggle, betrayal. I've, I've had crisis moments. I spent that evening in the Garden of Eden grappling with the reality of what I was about to face and asking, is there any other way? I felt that sense of, God, where are you in this hard moment? See, friends, it's by his wounds we are healed. It's not just, here I am, this big, glorious God in heaven. I've walked amongst you. I've become one of you. I love you. I see. I know. I understand. You're struggling. You're wrestling. You're doubting. Let me draw near. I'm not rejecting you because of your doubt. Come near. Let's wrestle together. Let's look at how this wraps up now because now it really begins to speak to us, those who haven't seen. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's me and you, friends. Unless you've got a story to tell I haven't heard yet. (laughs) That's you and me. Those who haven't seen and yet believe. Now, there's like this little addendum to this for you and I, for the readers of this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, Peter got to handle the word of God in human flesh. But you and I get to handle the living word of God. And when we are doubting and we are struggling, we can go to him personally through the word because it's alive and he's alive. And when I'm reading it, I'm not just doing it because it's like, oh, here's my daily devotion. It's like, God, if you're real and you love me and you're here, would you speak to me through your word? And he will meet us in the same way he met Thomas and he'll make that word come alive in our hearts and he'll breathe new life into us if we're willing to handle the word. If we're willing to look to the God of the word and believe that's truth. 
When doubts are crushing in, let me go to the one who loves me and has given me this record that I may know him. Let me read about this man who showed up and walked the earth and was just like a thunderbolt crashing into people's lives. Let me see these different circumstances that remind me of circumstances I'm in and how he loved and was present and spoke truth and healed and challenged and invited us to know him and walk with him and experience his life. May we believe. I just, I think it's interesting that what Thomas did when he doubted is he kept hanging out with the people who believed. Where was he eight days later? With the disciples who believed. The only thing I would warn against when we're doubting is not to pretend you're not doubting. It's not to squash it or even feel ashamed about it. When we're doubting, there is a pull to walk away. There's, there's a pull to draw away from people of faith. There's a pull to walk away from God. And what I would say to you is, what we need to do when we're doubting is draw near to the people of God and draw near to God himself and look to his word for life and truth. The question is, church, are we gonna be the kind of people that are safe enough and approachable enough for people who are struggling with doubts? Do they look at us as the people of God and go, that's, that's where I will be welcomed and accepted and loved and heard? Or is that just where I'm gonna go to be pushed away and rejected and shamed? Jesus didn't shame Thomas, he sat with him. And so when we're the ones struggling with doubt, if we need to be able to go to God's people and go to God's word, when we're not struggling with doubt, we need to be the kind of people that are welcoming and available to those who are doubting. Amen? Okay, last one. The last one is faith in failure. Faith in failure. Failure is inevitable. We will blow it. And we see something really neat that takes place with Peter and Jesus also around this same time period. So to catch you up, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he warned Peter in advance, you will deny me three times before the night is out. And of course, Peter's like, no way, never, I'll never do that. And then he does. And as Jesus is being put on trial, out of fear of other people and what they might think and what they might do to him, point blank, three times, he denies that he's ever even met Jesus or knows who he is. He's crushed by it. And now here's Jesus, he's risen, he's starting to show up. And Peter's, you know, he's aware, he's uncertain. There's an interesting story, I'm not gonna get into the whole story here, but he's out fishing with his buddies. A guy shows up on the shoreline, it becomes evident that it's Jesus, and so they go and they have breakfast with him, sitting by the shore. And we're gonna pick up right there, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. I've often wondered how many questions in did Peter figure out what was going on? (laughs) Denied him three times. And then Jesus looks him in the face three times. Do you love me? It seems to me, based on what I know of Peter and because I think maybe I'm a lot like him, it took him to the third time to figure out what was going on. (laughs) And uh, I think that's why it says after that third time he was grieved. It's like, oh, I see what's going on. I love how Peter responds to this. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Lord, you know everything. He does know everything. He knows our weakness, our struggles, our failures. He knows right now the huge mistake you're gonna make on Thursday at two o'clock. I don't, I'm not prophesying. <laughs> and he loves us. He knows everything. You know, Peter had the opportunity to react the way Judas did. Judas was just so devastated, he committed suicide. It's heartbreaking. Peter was willing in his failure I can't even imagine the shame he was feeling about, I mean, this is Peter, man. He's bold, he's strong. He's pulling out a sword ready to fight for Jesus. It's that Peter. And he's like, at this moment when he needed me most, I abandoned him. And he feels the weight. You gotta know he feels the weight of that, that failure, that mistake. But he had enough faith to come back around Jesus. And he was willing to be lovingly corrected. I love that for each denial, Jesus reaffirmed love. And he got Peter to reaffirm love. I no longer deny you. I express that I love you. But the faith that we've got to be able to find when we fail, friends, is that faith that just knows he knows everything. Lord, you know. Man, you know I've blown it. You see me, even if in the midst of this failure, there's all these things internally where I'm trying to cover. I'm trying to hide a little bit. I'm trying to minimize it. Externally, maybe I've caused a problem that's harming other relationships. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to go into damage control. Whatever things I'm doing out here when I have failed, the reality is before God, I can know that he sees And he knows and he loves. And I can have the kind of faith when I know I've failed that says, Lord, you know everything. So I'm just gonna come real. I'm gonna come honest. This is me. This is where I am. God, I'm sorry. I love you. Thank you that you love me. 
I think maybe more than we've ever admitted to ourselves. I, I struggled with this for a while. I wasn't even honest with myself about this. I think many of us struggle with having the kind of faith that can receive forgiveness. Like really receive forgiveness. Let him remove the entire weight and burden of sin. There have been times in my life where I actually felt like I had to feel some of that pain. Like it wasn't right for that burden to be lifted. I deserve this. I need to feel the misery. I need to wallow in the guilt and the shame. And Jesus is saying, I love you and I know everything and I see your weakness and I long to forgive you. Will you have the kind of faith that will receive my forgiveness? We're not denying what you've done wrong. We're not minimizing it. We're not pretending. In fact, we're gonna be upfront about it, right? Jesus is not hiding from it. That three-time repeating, it's like, this is real, buddy. I know, and it happened, but I love you. And what I love about this, it shows us a couple things here as we close. It shows that our failure does not disqualify us from relationship with God. It doesn't disqualify us. Our failure also does not disqualify us from having an impact, right? What's Jesus tell him to do? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, take care of people. In fact, the third point I would even go far as to say is that your failure prepares you for future challenges, because your own awareness of your failure and the grace of God in your life will enable you to deal with the inevitable failures of others that will impact you. And that's immediately what Jesus starts talking to him about. Right after he restores him, how does he wrap things up? Picking right up in verse 17 now. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says to him that third time, feed my sheep. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. Because Peter too was crucified. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Buddy, I see your failure and I love you and I forgive you. And as you walk through this life with me and you begin to be my representative in this world, buddy, it's gonna hurt. There's gonna be pain along the way. There's gonna be struggle and suffering. There's gonna be things you go through that you don't want to. That's the road I just walked. You abandoned me when I was walking that road. You're probably gonna experience that now as you go forward. Follow me. And it's that Peter that writes to you and I and says these words one last time. Simon Peter a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus our Lord. Suffering and loss are inevitable. So too is doubt and failure. But friends, we have obtained like precious faith. May we hold on to God even now. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pause for a minute and we worship you. Jesus, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Jesus, thank you that by your wounds we are healed. God, thank you that you do work miraculously. Sometimes, God, you come right into the middle of our pain and suffering and you intervene and you change things radically, powerfully, miraculously. God, may we have faith to trust and believe that you do that and to worship and praise you when we see it. Lord, I also thank you that that you love us enough that you will enter right into our pain and loss and you are near and you comfort and you bring healing and you remind us of the ultimate redemption that you are working on our behalf. Jesus, thank you that when we're struggling and grappling with doubt, that you're present and that we can come to you. We can express those doubts. We can verbalize those struggles. Thank you for your people and your word that can strengthen us and give us a place to maneuver through those doubts and find renewed faith. And Lord, when we fail, thank you for your ever-present love and forgiveness. May we have faith to receive it and to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.